Welcome to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Join the podcast mogul Phil Better as he interviews successful entrepreneurs that make their living in the digital world. Now, let's join your host, Phil Better, and his special guest today on Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. I am, of course, your host with the most Phil Better. Today, I'm very happy to have an amazing guest who has taken uh, the uh, world of... Uh, wait, 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 wait. I have it here. I'm not crazy here. You've taken the world of music by storm. That's what I think I'm going. I got Darren Bruce here. Um, Darren, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. So I'm still trying to fight off a cold, so my brain is uh, fuddled. Um, I, I hate being being sick. Uh, but Darren, I have a, an amazing list of accomplishments that you've done. You, you 12 events every year? 12 events every year? Uh, per no, month, sorry, per month, for every month, <laughs> Jesus, and that's okay. not that's not including our our actual other distribution, which we'll be getting into in a little bit. But yeah, we are ramping up right now to be at about oh, this month they'll probably end at about sixty hours of content, and we'll be wrapping uh, ramping up to be at about a hundred to one hundred and twenty hours of content a month, uh, featuring electronic musicians, DJs, producers, industry-related professionals. Um, we're really taking the brand by, you know, we're, we're coming out of the gate. Going forward, yeah. Yeah, and going forward. All right, Darren, how did you get started? Like, w- were you always a musician by by trade or something? Um, not necessarily a musician. My brothers were musicians growing up, and so my dad kind of lavished the gear and the equipment. They were in a band. They were rock and uh, uh, punk rock rock you know type of type of music and i gravitated towards the one toy that i wasn't allowed to ever touch in the house the video camera um this is 1979 video cameras were about a thousand dollars vcrs were about a thousand dollars that was a lot of money back then yeah you know and and, i mean it wasn't like 1950s and a a dime was now worth five thousand dollars or something like that but still a lot of money and my dad always said don't play with a video camera you're gonna knock it over you're gonna break it you know, but of course, when parents leave the house, you kind of play with the things you're not supposed to play with. Oh, yeah, fully. And started making home movies and, and having fun with that and um, set the way forward clock to high school. Our our state um, offered the first ever video production class in a high oh, school nice. environment. So I kind of just gravitated towards that, knowing how to grab the camera, understood the VCR. Half the kids in that class, they'd never played with a video camera before. You know, and theoretically, never did you either. Yeah, never, <laughs> right. Never did I. Either. But, uh, you know, I just gravitated towards the video side of things. I grew up, you know, with the advent of the VCR, being able to watch movies. You weren't stuck to just HBO or watching it at eight o'clock at night when it came on, you know, that Friday night movie of the week, you know, whatever. You could watch movies over and 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 over. Until the, about until the magnetic strip gets broken. Until, and yeah. like, oh my God, I have to buy another one. And then your dad yells at you. It's, it's a whole exactly. thing. Exactly. Kids today and don't understand. So, you know, I was, I was actually at a bar the other day and my girlfriend comes in and Empire Strikes Back is on on the big screen behind the bar. And I'm watching, I'm like, oh, this is the new digital version. I don't like it very much with what they did with the Lucasfilm yeah. retouch. But that being said, I'm like, I turned around, I go, you know, I've seen this movie probably about 250 times. She goes, what? And I go, okay, conservatively, maybe at least 150 times. And, you know, just I loved movies. I loved, um, you know, the imagination, what 
you could you could translate and tell a story. So coming right out of high school, um, I went to uh, I, I ran into a guy, I met a guy, and he was doing a public access hip hop television show, and I started working with him on an offer a number of years. Was pretty much what I would call a glorified production assistant. Um, I, I never really got an official title, although he wanted me in front of the camera a lot. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to be in front of the camera. And it was a while, like a couple of years in, he goes, why don't you want to be in front of the camera? I go, because everyone who gets in front of your camera, they're gone in six months to a year. I want to know what you do to produce the show. And I'm here, you know, I'm down to make the show happen. Long story short, set the clock about eight years forward after that to 2000. And we start working on a late night talk show. Think of it like Arsenio Hall show for the Pacific Northwest. Kind of get my kick in. I make my first $1,800 on a week's worth of work, which I probably put in about 70 hours worth of work that week. But I said, this is what I want to do for a living. I want to executive produce or produce shows. And at the time, we only had broadcast television or public access. There was no YouTube. There was no iPod videos. There was no live stream. There was nothing online for online video. And so um, kind of said, I want a contract. And they're like, no, we don't want to give you contracts. And I'm like, well, we should all have contracts. So we know who's responsible for what. But if you're not going to operate on the board, then guess what? I'm off the board. <laughs> I'm walking. So I went out, <clears throat> took my last $800 and went to school to learn how to run a company, fast track to be on, go to the UW business school, all that fun stuff. And it was there when I produced my first show, my first television series, Phantasmagoria to Fox executive produced, put the whole show on Fox here locally, and then got a number of other shows approved to air on stations and come about 2005, we had eight separate television shows approved on 12 network stations on the West coast. Nice. Yeah. It was like, we we're looking ready to go money studio, knocking on doors. Duh, 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 duh. And then this thing called YouTube came out and I was working for Apple at the time. And we saw YouTube as somebody like this. I'm using my webcam right now and I'm talking to the screen and that's YouTube. It's you on the tube. Yeah. I didn't like that concept. Cause I'm like, we're broadcast television shows. We're not, we're broadcast tube, not YouTube. So we kind of, overlooked that YouTube opportunity there as not somewhere we really wanted to distribute. And um, which hindsight goes, yeah, that was a stupid move. Um, Don't worry. Everybody when YouTube came out was like, this is only a fad. It's not going to last. Yeah. Fast forward. So, now, and where we saw something coming into play and while I was working for Apple was the moment they released the photo iPod and it had a color screen. I was working in the store and I said, what would it take for them to put a watered down version of a QuickTime file and put it on a, on a thing and have a video player? Like I knew it was coming. I yeah. knew it was coming and Apple's very secretive and all that fun stuff. But when the video iPod got released, the first thing I said is, and they released them and they couldn't talk about any of the deals they had with NBC, ABC, CBS. Cause if they did, those deals would kind of oh. announce what was coming out. So when all these iPods got put in the store, these iPod videos got put in the store, they had no videos on them. So we couldn't demo them. Like people come, I want to see it. I want to see what it looks like. There's no shows on them. So I said, well, what if we take our pilot series, ITV, and we put all eight of our episodes on these iPods? And Ooh. we figured out the, the file size to do it, got them all loaded on the store. Management approved. It was not corporate approved. Um, but, but. The, my managers loved it because now we had something to demo the iPod videos with. And 
on top of that, I reached out to the podcast division at Apple and I said, Hey, by the way, we got a video podcast. Check us out. And iTunes at the time, their podcast section just was like a list. Yeah. Of it shows. was horrible. It, it, was, it was, horrible. was very horrible, very backwards. And so the guy says, okay, Darren, you got this all set up. I said, yeah. He goes, come back and look at the store on Thursday. This is like a Tuesday. And I said, okay, what's happening on Thursday? He goes, I can't tell you, but look but at the store check on it out. So Thursday rolls around. We look at the iTunes store. It's completely revamped with the podcast sections. First, you know, version one. And they had made these separate sections like comedy podcasts, how-to podcasts. And they made a video podcast section. And we debuted at number 48 out of 50 in the video podcast section in iTunes. And I was like, okay, like you said, YouTube was looked at as, is it going to be a fad? Is it Podcasting wasn't a fad. Apple wasn't a fad. The iPod is not a fad. So we said, we're striking gold here. We actually ended up going from 1,000 downloads a week, 10,000 downloads a week, 50,000 downloads a week. At one point, we're doing 300,000 downloads a week. And, er and we went from position 48 to position number 23. And we're looking at everyone else in the iTunes store as a video podcaster. And we're like going, how do we monetize this? Because there were no Nielsen ratings. Yeah. There were no Arbitron ratings. You could... I mean, we had verified GoDaddy numbers. We could look at how many files were being downloaded, cross-section that with how much bandwidth we were using, and you know, kind of say, this is how many actual downloads we're getting of our shows. But that didn't give you demographics. No. That didn't. So you could go out and say, this is what we're doing. And so everyone was kind of like, and it was such a new phenomenon, like, how do you make money at this? So set the way forward clock a few years after that. We're podcasting. Yay, yay, yay. So our back end has always been a podcast series. Like our main infrastructure, how we distribute is a podcast. And um, set the way forward clock to 2007, I started getting into live streaming, working for a company. 2009, came up with an idea to do a live streaming series called the DJ Sessions and feature celebrity DJs and local DJs. And it kind of shifted away from the podcasting of the brand of ITV and just went forward with the DJ Sessions. And that's been the brand we've been working on for the last well, going on 13 years here, and uh, we're recognized by Ustream and Livestream as a featured partner right out of the gate. Um, but our real big win for us was in 2018 when GoDaddy slapped my hand for the fifth time, fifth or sixth time, saying, you can't be doing 90 to 120 terabytes of data of use on a $15 a month hosting plan. And I come back and say, but it says unlimited and it says unlimited storage. Yeah, well, yeah, no. Screw you. And so screw you. So our podcast went, ooh, and went down. And then at the same time, uh, Ustream was being bought out by IBM. And we went from a $10 a month grandfathered in storage plan account for being a featured partner with them to them saying, we're getting rid of that. Pull down all your videos or you're going to have to start paying us $1,700 a month to host your videos. And the amount of content we were looking to churn out at that time was going to add about another $100 to $200 a month. So right now, if I was still with Ustream and the amount of content we produce, I think we're at 1,300 episodes. Maybe maybe we're at 11 or 1,300 episodes at that point. And now we're at 2,300 episodes. I probably would be paying about four or $5,000 a month to host on Ustream. And Ustream isn't even the platform that it was back then because now Twitch is yeah. running everything. So I took my brand to Twitch. Got in front of the, the main content uh, content person there and showed him the show, showed him the brand. He said, get over here. You're automatically a featured partner. 
We were one of the first featured partnered live streaming DJ shows with Twitch, which is like a huge honor. They put us to the front page of the website for the first time. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know much about Twitch and their platform. I knew it was Justin TV beforehand, but we were Ustream, Livestream, Justin TV. And they put us to the front page of Twitch and we had 2,700 viewers in the chat room. I mean, it was, it, it exploded. You know, it was like, whoa. And we were not ready for it. No, I mean, from, so. from a branding standpoint, we weren't ready for it. I was thinking, oh, it's front page. We might have 100 people in here, 50 people in here. Okay, cool. He comes back and goes, no, Darren, you know where we reserve those spots? People pay us fifty dollars to $100,000 for two to four hours to get those spots on the front of Twitch. We just gave it to you because you're one of our featured shows. This is obviously pre-2020. Yeah. So the conversation would still go like this. Oh, we're a featured partner on Twitch. We do a live streaming DJ show. People would say, why would I want to watch a DJ show online? Wouldn't I want to go and see it in person? And by the way, What's Twitch? Yeah. So I got to have the conversation and say, well, did you ever listen to the radio? Have you ever listened to music online before in some way, like an internet radio station? Yes. Okay. Well, that's the concept of our show, only with video. And number two, you know that company called YouTube that's owned by Google? Well, Twitch is basically owned by Amazon. So, and they go, oh, nowadays everyone's like, oh, you got a show on Twitch? Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. I watch live streaming DJs all the time. I love it. I get it. See them. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So that just sets us up to, you know, coming forward and building our brand, you know, the mobile sessions. We started getting into events and started putting on our own rooftop sessions. We do silent concerts, AKA silent discos. Um, we do a number of different things out there and we're really now positioning ourselves to grow our brand and take it internationally. So this year, the first time we've ever taken our show on the road will be to the Amsterdam dance event in ADE this October and we're positioning ourselves over the next six months, five, six months, just to be a force majeure when we show up there to say, this is the DJ sessions. This is what we got. Hello, industry professionals. And we've wow. opened the door as well to not just focus on just DJs and the music. We've now focused on opening up to all electronic music industry professionals out there that are doing their thing so we want to talk to promoters agents booking managers record labels lighting designers promoters you know anyone that's in the industry to really take a new direction because i'm not going to knock anyone in this game but kind of what happened a couple years ago everyone found out i want to do a podcast or i want to do a live stream so anyone with a camera and a microphone is now jumping online and it's in the dj world anyone that's a dj they're like if they can't be booking gigs they're like I got a camera. I'll do it from my living room and I'll do a DJ show. And I said, you know, we've been doing that for years. I want to change the brand up. I want to become more of a news repository where people are coming and hearing it from the artist's mouth first, hearing exclusive mixes from the DJs, you know, top world round DJs and, and also local DJs. Cause that's kind of our format is to focus on the little guy yeah. and help them out and grow, but really being a brand that people can turn to and trust. They know they're getting the goods about the industry. You know, and, and there's still a lot of blogs out there that do this. Uh, there are some great shows out there that do this, and they do it in an audio format. But very far and few between are people in that video realm of things. Right, but go ahead. I know sorry. I, I, I got to add in one more thing. It doesn't go ahead. Stop, like it, I, I'm it loving this. I don't have it, to talk. I love it. It, talk. it doesn't stop there because I, I literally just got up the, uh, a, a WhatsApp this morning where I tell people right now if you aren't having the discussion, within your organization or who you are as a content provider, if you are not talking about VR 
in any way, shape, or form, or even looking at it, you are you are out of the game. It's, I want I, I I'm not can I'm not an uppity person, and I'm I'm better than everyone. Yeah. It's like I I just I can't have a conversation with you because you have to. To me, VR is the new website. To me, mm-hmm. VR is the new podcast, is the new live stream where you can now have a venue built out, tailored experience in this 3D experience. And I just got off the phone with a, a company out of the UK that is building environments where you can have your own nightclub on their platform, on their app in Oculus. Kind of a little bit what we're going for, which we've already launched two VR nightclubs in alt space, which are pretty awesome builds. And we're kind of taking the Starbucks route where we'll have a build here, a build here, a build here. But this one kind of already is, they're talking directly with Facebook. They're talking directly with Sony to take care of all the licensing and the live streaming. And so, yeah, just we'll be partnering with them in some way, shape or form. But now you got to look at the new Oculus 3 coming out. If that's what it's going to be called. And the next conversation after VR is augmented reality or AR. And if you're not, and since we do real life in world events, we want to definitely have a VR presence and an AR presence as well, or mixed reality presence. And that's kind of the future. That's the next 15 years. So kind of gave you the history of how I started, what we've been and doing for the last 12, and where we're going for the next 15. What I love how you brought up the VR, AR, and MR. Um, for those who don't know, VR is virtual, uh, uh, augmented reality, and then mixed reality. Um, we actually had a, a company that is doing AR, VR, MR games and that previously on the show and they what they were talking about was insane so just imagining like the dj version of that like if i can't go see you know some of the big guys like you know mush uh not mushroom is it mushroom I, i'm not a uh, marshmallow like i can't get to marshmallow but i can buy a vr ticket and i'm at his place like i'm i may not be physically at the event but i'm i'm there enjoying this mix that exclusive exclusivity that that can be brought by that i love how the the internet is changing the game. This is why I started this show, just yeah. to learn what's coming. Because I, I don't mean, have time or, to talk. Originally, one of the concepts that I had with Phantasmagoria back in 2001, when we had our first website, was I had a chat room built into the website, and you were going to be able to watch our show on broadcast television at 1.30 in the morning, because that's all that was available. Um, but you could chat with us while our show was live, and the producers would get on. Then when live streaming came out, and you were, able to, you were able to have the chat room right there as you're doing the live stream and that interaction right there. Now you're going to be able to take it into a VR environment, have your avatar all dressed up the way you want to, go into these really awesome rooms that are, are beautiful. Some of these places are just amazing and be able to actually interact and look and, hey, how you doing? And talk with people and go over in this corner and have a virtual drink and chit-chat or have special access to go into this section over here or you know, buy concert tickets, like you said, and, and be in those environments. And it's just, it, it's kind of the next wave. It's, 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 it's out it's there. Exciting. It is, it is exciting. And, and sometimes like most first adapters, you know, we're talking up here at a like 50,000 foot level of understanding and, you know, it, it has to bridge that gap though and come down to where we're looking at probably this Christmas, this Christmas being a big one, obviously, because meta is, Going Meta huge. runs Oculus. We know Microsoft. We know Google. We know Sony. You Amazon's know Nintendo. I, I don't even know. I think Nintendo's probably working on something in their R and D. Technically, they were the first. They had the Virtual get, uh, Boy back in the old school. Oh, Virtual Boy, yeah, Virtual Boy. Gosh, I never got one of those. That was a little past my Nintendo. 
It was I, just I had at the, the end of mine. It was at yeah, the end of my Nintendo before I jumped into Sony. And uh, I, I had the Power Glove as a kid. Power Glove. Power oh Glove was fun. Uh, I never had the robot. Um, I just thought that was kind of the, the gyroscope the robot. I had the bazooka. The bazooka. Okay, yeah, the bazooka yeah, was the yeah, bazooka. Bazooka. from the handgun to the bazooka yep, to the power glove. Yep, power glove. But um, never got into the Virtual Boy. Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting one. I did have a Game Boy though, but um, never had a Game Boy Color though. It was always the, the old school yellow screen. Oh and, yeah, those uh, were the best. Those were yeah. the best ones. But uh, you know, looking at where VR is going to go, and and people are still stuck in a 2D environment. We're still consuming all of our a lot of our stuff in a 2D environment. And you pay that 300 bucks, like my friend said, it'll be the best $300 you ever spend. And I don't work for Meta. I'm not a fan, you know, not a fanboy of them. I'm not, you know, getting paid to endorse their product. But I said a couple of years ago that when the price point comes down to 300 bucks or that Atari or that Nintendo price point of like 99 bucks or a hundred bucks, they're going to start flying out the door. And I think a few people, they're going to wait because apparently the Oculus 3 is going to have AR and um, the VR and AR built into it. Mm -hmm. So you'll be able to do a a mixed reality experience. It'll be pretty awesome to see what that comes out. And then they got Project Aria. That's a whole nother ball of wax, which is, you know, that's your glasses that you'd wear out. Like, not like Google Glass, but. Very similar in idea to Google Glass, exactly. But, uh, not different. My God, I love when I get to talk to first adapters and people who are already looking to the next level, um, <laughs> especially about VR because VR, it, like everyone saw Ready Player One, they were like, "We want that." At Google was, I go all the big tech companies are like, "Okay, we can do it." They have the money; they can they can spend thirty billion dollars on it and not even be a drop in the bucket to them. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus. I'm so excited. I, I, I like when I first got the email saying that you were going to come on, I was like, okay, this is going to be cool. We're going to talk about some DJing, how we started this. Now I'm, t- I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, he's going to the next level here. He, he's you not a the, DJ. He's a you want to know the craziest thing one of my friends brings up to me about my VR nightclub. And you got to remember this when you're in VR, he goes, Hey Darren, why are those pylons here in this room? There's no gravity here. You don't need them. It doesn't, it's not structural. So why are these here? You should remove these. And I said, you know, you got a good point there, but the the adaptation of people getting in, we're not going for the crazy world. There's some crazy right. worlds that most people might get into and they're like, oh, I don't know how to, how do I get around here? How do I do this? So we stuck with the original building. We call it Beta Nightclub because we haven't even launched version one yet, but we go with the four walls, roof, floor philosophy, walk up and down stairs, walk around the corners kind of environment because that's what people are going to want to see their first go around. Yeah. Version two will be more of you're going to be flying into different we're going to be areas. In space, is what you're yeah. We're going to be in space. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, I, and I got some awesome builds. I'll be showing uh, that, that I work with some developers to make these things. And they're like, now this is a virtual reality nightclub. Oh, you know. I can't wait. I, I'm so excited uh, <laughs> to see the, the next versions of these nightclubs coming up. I haven't had a chance to jump into Oculus. It's it's on, on the metaverse and all that, but it's on my list because it's going to be insane. Well, what's cool is you can, with our build in, in Altspace, you can go in from your from your laptop. Awesome. And, and, and I think VR chat, you can go in from VR chat from your laptop as well right now. It's not the same experience. No, I don't know if you remember something called Second Life. Yes, I remember Second Life. So yeah. I used to be huge in a Second Life in, in 07 to 09, roughly. And um, it was great. It was 3D. You could see it. But there was no glasses. There was no immersion. 
into it, you were just on your laptop and you fly and every, you try to explain it to people like, Oh, is it a video game? And it's like, no, it's a sandbox. Well, what's a sandbox? It means like, Oh, whatever you build, you own. And there was an in there was an in-world currency, which is so weird because all these platforms haven't, they know all of, all of them know about second life, but none of them have like an in-world currency, how that's going to look, how that's going to look with, with crypto or, or NFTs coming into the marketplace and all this fun stuff. So there's a huge, I see a huge opportunity here on many levels. I, I was in a room the other day. The guy has literally built a conference center and you buy booths like you would at a trade show and then you have your booth and then he has a networking event and he says, okay, everyone now go and network. So he'll have like 50, 60 people in a room and then they'll go into the conference area. You can have your own conference booth and point, you know, just you can work your conference booth at the show and people walk. This thing is huge. I mean, big, big in a VR term. Yeah. But it'd be like a regular conference floor with hundreds of booths around. Jesus. It's really kind of cool. And it so. helps because it, it cuts down costs because I don't have to travel there now. If I'm a virtual business, if I do all my business online, I don't have any physical products. I don't need to fly out there. I can just pay the 150 bucks, got my booth. I can have 100 meetings in the day. And I haven't even left my office or my uh, had to get dressed today. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually uh, they have a, with, with another company I, I, I talk with, which is using version two and version three tech, they actually have it where you can have conference bubbles inside your build. So when you go inside that conference bubble, it only, only you and I could hear us talk. So we could have a private meeting and we could lock the door and that way nobody else could hear what we're talking about in that virtual space. They could do a 10 story building and then have different things on each floor of the building you know, and, and have different booths and yeah, it, it's, it's next level, next level stuff. <laughs> oh my God. I, I can't wait. Um, let's get back to a bit more yeah. about you. Uh, yeah. I said about what the future is bringing for the DJ sessions. Um, sure. What would you have a tip for? Okay. Where you, you deal with ED, uh, you deal with DJs, you deal with musicians, you deal with all these uh, amazing creative folk. What tip would you have for them? to start getting into the, like the digital world, start getting their digital presence because a, a lot of them need to start doing it now before it's too late. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think you just said it right there. Start now doing something before it's too late. Um, there are 10 year olds out there. My friend's son, maybe he's 11. Ashley, if you're listening, don't, don't hate me for this. Um, but all he wants to do is be a YouTube streamer. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, you, you can't. You're under 13. You can't. I mean, mom wants to set them up the channel, but that's how young they're getting. Probably even younger, they're getting involved with this. They're playing. They're doing the Minecraft. They're getting into this. And the technology is, they just need a laptop with a webcam, and mm -hmm. you know, set it up and however they want to put it together. And and boom, now they got a channel and they're distributed. If a 10 year old or 11 year old is into doing digital media, and for whatever reason, you're an artist and you're not seeing digital media as a form or something you want to explore. You're done. You know, that's true. You're done. Because those 10 year olds are going to become the future producers, the future DJs, the future musicians. Uh, one of the biggest things I think we're going to see here is musicians or what we saw over the last two years with all the venues closing down is the flock of musicians jumping online to platforms like Twitch. And, you know, the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle though that people ran into was copyright. 
Yeah. And in your licensing and understanding the rules and regulations and laws and reading the damn terms and conditions of these websites you're submitting stuff to and then not trying to cry about it and think that yeah. Amazon should pay the bill or Facebook should pay the bill. And because it, it's not really up to them on how these laws are written, they have to abide by the laws and a lot of people are breaking the law. And so understanding your industry and the, the legal points. But I think what we'll see here is 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 the rise of the independent artist that can really build something on their own channel using a platform like Twitch, you know, especially if they own the rights to their music. Yeah. Um, you know, so know your legal, know what you're getting into legally, read those terms and conditions. Yes. You might be able to do a DJ stream live on Twitch is when it expressly says on the back end of their T's and C's and their community guidelines, no DJ sets. No radio style music shows. No karaoke shows. Wow. <laughs> right. Big, bold, black letters on their site. These are music. Twitch has slowly been kind of educating the populace. What's happening down the line. People thought I've been a naysayer of the last few years. When, like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You're complaining about something. Go read the fine print. You'll find out what's happening. Research what's happening in the industry. And by the way, I came out a couple of years. It was 2020. I think I put a post out there on Facebook. I said, hey, you know what? Everyone who's live streaming DJ sets right now, you all are criminals. Oh, and guess what? I'm a criminal too. It was supposed to be a, be a very funny post. Yeah. Like like a joking I, post. I, I, I could see how, where it's coming from funny because you did say, hey, I'm a criminal too. But yeah. I also could see all the negative backlash that would come from that. And I was just trying to say, look, here it is in black and white, the terms and conditions. If you're wondering why you're getting shut down on Facebook, if you're wondering why you're getting shut down on YouTube, you don't watch out. The same thing is going to happen to you on Twitch. They're, they will red flag. They are going to active monitoring. They have to because of the EU. I've talked with people about this. I was on a, a podcast um, 2020, and turns out that a friend of the CEO of Mixcloud listened to that podcast, went back and listened to the podcast I did with the interview with the attorney, Gordon Firemark out of LA, told the CEO of Mixcloud about it. The CEO of Mixcloud reaches out to me and says, I want to be on your show. Jesus. You're talking about the right, you're talking about the right stuff that nobody's talking about. Nobody has this conversation. And we try to tell people all the time, make sure this, or it's one of the main reasons why Mixcloud will probably become a premier platform. Again, not getting paid by them <laughs> to endorse, but Soon you but, will. With all the promo yeah, you're doing with right? this, I think they're going to be reaching out. <laughs> well, Mix, Mixcloud has a very unique way they've set it up where they've gotten and gotten all the, the licensing rights and the music rights because they only distribute audio. They'll, they will stream live video, but no live video exists on their site. So that means you don't have to worry about master use, sync rights, and all those kind of things because uh, it's a one-time ephemeral, ephemeral use in live stream. But they can rip the audio and they have all the deals with the licensing and it oh. automatically tracks it all and pays out all the royalties. See, that's, that's what people. Twitch should have done. Twitch should have done something like that. The, they, you can't because it's video. Yeah. And it goes into a whole mucky muck ball of wax. And each, each song, when it goes to video, imagine I'm a DJ and I got 12 songs in one hour. I have to get sync and master use for each one of those songs before it gets put up as a video. So that means I'd have to make the mix, submit for the licensing, wait to hear back from everyone, get all the costs, pay all the costs, get the rights to it. Then I can put that video online. 
and I probably won't get in perpetuity rights. So it'll be a limited amount of time, but it even gets worse than that. Let's say one, one song is owned by five different companies. Oh my God. I got to get permission from all five companies. Even worse, this company could say a dollar. This company say $2, $3, $4, $5. If $5 company takes it, I got to pay all the companies five bucks. Jesus. For one song. Just for you could have 12 to 14 songs in a one hour set. And you have to have these permissions before it gets put online. Now, what happened in the EU, I know we're not talking about me, but it's little fine. No, this is great education for my my listeners. I have a lot of I've interviewed a lot of people who are helping artists. So yeah. this is even better. A lot of people that don't know what just happened and passed in 2019 in the EU is there's in the DMCA in the EU used to have something called a safe harbor which means companies like YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, they said, hey, we can't monitor all this content going to our sites. At all. It'd be impossible. There's a million videos a minute going up to YouTube. There's no way to monitor them all. So the law was put in the, or was written in that says, hey, if you make a way that this company can say, there's copyrighted music being used, please take it down. Okay, YouTube takes it down. They're not held liable because mm-hmm. they're in that safe harbor and protected. EU just did away with the safe harbor. So the moment a video goes up, the content, whoever, YouTube, Facebook, whoever that goes up there, they're not held liable automatically. So that's why there's there's a, a live system in place or what's called active monitoring. So if we're doing a live stream, it's listening to your stream. If it detects it, it goes, we've detected copyright material and Facebook has it, so does YouTube. And they go, if you don't stop this, we're shutting you down. And we're shutting it down, and you're not going to get a recording of this. Please don't do this. If you do this on our system again, three strikes, you can be banned from our system. Twitch has talked about active monitoring. They haven't said much about active monitoring, but they are. They know it's there. It's coming down the line, and a lot of people that are streaming on Twitch will start to get those takedowns. Now, the one thing that Twitch has that I haven't seen with uh, maybe Facebook has it. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, YouTube. YouTube, or I'm sorry, YouTube has it as well. But you have the ability to turn off, to store your video on demands on or off. So the question is, if I turn that button off, do not store my video on demands on Twitch. All I'm doing is a streaming platform. Will it turn active monitoring off? Hmm. So that way it doesn't, because the only way I could get a video up to Twitch after that would be if I upload it in, the algorithm will Figure go through it out. And say flag, 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 mm-hmm. flag. So, will that's the curious thing. Does switching that switch on or off change the game for live streaming people that are live streaming live music streaming that's music not legally allowed? Uh, uh, but you can if it's a one-time use. Yeah, like like if you're doing a Super Bowl, this is how they create it. So let's say I'm at the Super Bowl and I'm talking on talking to you, interviewing you, and all of a sudden ACDC Back in Black comes on behind me and it's broadcast live, well, I don't have to get the licensing for that because that one instance only lives live one yeah. time. It's not going to live somewhere else. Um, and that prevent, that that's the one thing that live streaming is kind of working with right now of why they can't do this. But the moment that video on demand goes on, and we used to get red flags all the time. This is something that was brought to our attention when we went to Twitch. They, I said, we'd love to go back to the front page of Twitch. They said, okay, that's great. We know you can get your licensing for the live performance and this specific episode. That's cool. But you have 450 videos on our platform that have red flags all over them. And that opens up a can of worms for you because you do that. You go up front. 
these Sony people, these universal people, they watch what's going on in the front of our website. They could come mm-hmm. back and go, your channel's gone. Not only that, you also got 1,300 videos over on your website too. They could go all the way back to 2009 and say, what's going on here? So in 2020, when everyone was jumping online in this, in this big boom of podcast live stream rush, we were sitting back figuring out our licensing, figuring out what was going on, make sure our brand is protected in a, in a way. And there's certain tips and tricks and things that I will not divulge with the public because that's competition. Hey, you know? it's, 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 you need to stay ahead of the game. Uh, so that you can be uh, the the number one uh, DJ session in the world, you know, bringing the the number one show for DJs to come and listen to. Um, I do want to know what your favorite moment so far has been in your journey, because you've had a a long illustrious career, and I want to know like what has been like a moment that you're like, this is why I do what I do. You know, I would say it was the first time I, I bring this up. I, I I it's once a year, once every couple of years. Facebook, the algorithms reminds me about the first time, the first, the first time I ever had a celebrity DJ play on my show. And this is 2009. And this is kind of the defining moment of where it went from just a local bedroom show to this can go worldwide. And it was earlier that year, I was at winter music conference and I had met the PR agent for Dave Dresden. Uh, Dresden Gabriel, um, very world-renowned DJs, huge DJs. She also manages, does PR for Carl Cox. And so we had set up an interview opportunity with a number of her DJs out there, Dave Dresden being one of them. And I'd interviewed Dave Dresden, 2009 Winter Music Conference. I had an opportunity to interview Carl Cox. At that time, I did not know who Carl Cox was. Yeah. Okay, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, set the way forward clock to around October, November that year. And I get word that Dave Dresden is coming to town to play at one of our clubs. So I reached back out to his PR person. I said, hey, could we get Dave on the show for an interview? We're doing this new thing, the DJ sessions. Could he maybe come by and play a set as well? Because remember, you miss 100% of the shots yeah. you, you never take. So I just threw it out there. She goes, yeah, Dave's totally down to come by and hang out and do that. And I'm like, okay, cool. So in my apartment, which was a one-bedroom apartment, more over-glorified studio apartment, yeah, I got Dave Dresden playing on the decks in my bedroom studio, which is the new studio, not my living room studio. Yeah, And Dave is playing on the decks. I got like 14, 15 people over my house, and I'm like, this is it. This is it. We could do celebrity DJs and local DJs and invite the celebrity DJs when they come into town to be on the show, and I could do my – red carpet, interview them, maybe have them play a set, but then get exposure for the local DJs on a worldwide level. Because if they go out there and share it, people watch the show like, oh, who was playing before that? So click, 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 gear started turning. And, you know, that was the moment that I think really defined the DJ sessions to where it could go. And that was two years before a show called The Boiler Room started that came out of the UK. And they feature predominantly just celebrity DJs from all different clubs and places from all over the world. So we were kind of doing that. And again, financing is always an awesome thing to figure out when you're an independent artist, you know, um, apparently, you know, our competitors got financing. We were looking at knocking on doors. Um, I had some personal struggles I was going through in my life um, that have now been wiped away or 
you know, in that sense go. of things. Um, just, just burning the candle at, at too many ends, you know, and that was, I was talking to somebody the other day is, you know, one of the things to look out for is make sure your time management is, is make sure you're controlling your time management. Make sure you aren't burning yourself out and to do lists. I'd be nowhere if I didn't have my to-do lists. Yeah, um, to-do lists are so important. I mean, and I'm actually going to be putting a, hopefully maybe next year I'll put my coffee book, my coffee table book out of my to-do list with like anecdotes of, of different phases of the DJ sessions and kind of going through all these notes and what it takes to get to where I'm at. It's not just like, oh, it's a to-do list and I, I kind of check it back once a month. There's usually 40 to 50 things on each of these things and I got hundreds of these things. And each one of them, you can tell the task has been completed because I've crossed them off. You know, like, I think that's the best feeling when you get to cross something off your to-do list. I, I, can't, I can't remember if it's a dopamine or serotonin, in fact. I was just talking about this yesterday. But if they say if you want a natural chemical reaction, make a to-do list and then check things off the to-do list. And it does. It just, it, yeah, it just energizes you. It's yeah. It's amazing. Exactly. Um, we are coming to to the near the end of the show. We're going a yeah. little over, but I don't care because it's oh. been an amazing conversation yeah. with Darren Bruce, the executive producer of the DJ Sessions, an amazing uh, show that's live that international and local DJs and celebrities and all that. And he's been t talking our ear off, and it's been amazing. Uh, but I want to get the last question. I'm a voracious uh, reader of books. I love books. Um, I'm curious to know what is a book that you constantly go back to to read uh in the entrepreneurial world or in the dj world even you know i i, I a long time ago i published you know or posted about the top 10 books that I, that i i say would be my go-to books um one that constantly constantly stays in the front of my mind it's a pretty easy read uh more on the it's more geared towards sales i would mm -hmm. think but you could use it in, in many aspects of life. And the name of the book is called Getting to Yes. And the concept uh, is that when you start something, you, you, it's your first time going out there, you're going to get a lot of no's. And to not let those no's disenfranchise you because you have to get so many no's before you get to a yes. Yeah. And then once you get to that yes, you come back and you analyze and you say, what did it take to get you that? Yes. Did I, did I give the, did I quote the right numbers? Was I on top of the phone call? Did I respond quick enough? Um, was my product superior to my, my competitors? What was it that focused on and getting me that? Yes. And then you come back and you, you, you take that to the next sale. You start seeing those no's get smaller and smaller, but you always got to know there's going to be no's, a lot of no's in front of you. And it might just be people that I, I came to the conclusion. There's three types of people in the world. People are going to say yes. People are going to say no. People are going to say no just because they hate it. You're going to make a bunch of money and they just want to say no anyways. Yeah. You know, in that sense of things. So, uh, yeah, definitely getting the yes is one of those. Um, think and Grow Rich um, great is book. always a great one. Um, gosh, there was one the other day by Tim Robbins. I know, why do I know the author? I forget the name. Good to Great. Yes. Oh, Good that's a, that's another one that's been repeated a few times yeah. here. Good to Great is an amazing book that I love. And I, I just came out. I forgot the name of the title yesterday, but I just remember it. Uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, One Minute Manager. Uh, my dad was in sales, worked for Xerox. So I kind of <laughs> grew up with these books kind of. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I understand. I have, I, my dad was in uh, insurance sales. So I have yeah. those books as well. Yeah. Um, 
Darren, I'm going to jump off the screen here. I'm going to sure. let you let my audience know where they can find you, how they can connect with you. And uh, so the floor is yours. Absolutely. You can find us at thedjsessions.com. Find us on TikTok. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere you want to go to. thedjsessions.com. We have a ton of content being released every week, almost every day. Something new is happening on thedjsessions.com. And don't forget to check out our virtual nightclubs in alt space just type in the, the dj sessions you'll find them pop them up say hi we always answer our fan mail always answer calls and if you're a dj or producer or electronic music industry professional definitely reach out to us we'd love to have you on the show awesome darren i can't thank you enough for joining me talking about vr talking about the next wave <laughs> of what dj sessions are going to be about your journey here um it's been an incredible chance to uh connect with you Phil, I really appreciate being here. All right. To my audience, uh, as you know, the show notes will have all the links to Darren's stuff so that you can become a fan of the DJ sessions. And I'm definitely going to be sending this episode to a couple of my DJ friends to get them on your show because they're amazing. So why not uh, bring some more uh, local Canadian talent over to your show? Uh, but always, guys, uh, another big thanks to Darren for being here from the DJ sessions. And remember to always invest in yourself.